Merry Christmas. Hope you had a great weekend and are still having a great weekend. We're going to talk about change in a few minutes. Uh, I guess if I said uh, life involves change, probably most of you wouldn't disagree with me, but we'll get into that in a moment or two. But uh, for us, it was different. Uh, Yesterday, after 47 years of wedded bliss, it was just the two of us for the first time ever. Well, two of us plus Brownie the Beagle. Two of us for Christmas, and it was different. It was just really different. And Orpha Galloway came over and rescued us later in the day because we were running out of things to talk about. And uh, that was kind of nice. But, you know, change takes place. And, uh, you know, we're creatures of habit, which is to say we're creatures of non-change. If you think about it, you're probably sitting in the same pew, give or take a pew, that you've been sitting in since ever you came to this church. Now, why do we do that? I don't know. I mean, it's probably because we're taught that in second grade. We never got over it. And a teacher takes role. The deacons even do that. We come in and we all sit in the same seats. Now, you know, pastor didn't make us do that. We just do it. So we're creatures of habit. You know, we don't like change, perhaps, but it, you know, takes place. I remember last week, we had a kind of a full congregation and a lot of people here. And I stood up. Uh, last Sunday morning, and then suddenly I felt this like disturbance in the force, and I thought, what is going on? And I, I looked around, and I realized that Eric and Dana Manrose were sitting in the back instead of up front. The earth tilted there for a few minutes, Eric. I didn't know what was happening. Uh, imbalance in the universe, but you know, things happen like that uh, as we go along. I've noticed another thing that's kind of interesting, a different kind of change that some of you will relate to. Young Zach Spiller isn't here today, I don't think, he's probably visiting family, but he usually sits here in front of us. And I've noticed that when Adam says, will you please stand and join us for a verse of song, that I'm looking at Zach and suddenly he's standing up. It's like a split second. How does he do that? You know, he's just sitting there and suddenly he's standing. Now me, on the other hand, when Adam says... Hey, please stand and join us for a verse of song. I put my right hand on the pew in front of me. And with my left hand, I kind of push off the seat that I'm sitting on and slowly stand up. And I get fully upright about, you know, sometime during the first verse. And all during that time, my joints are, are, you know, they're making robot noises. You know, as you're standing. What's that all about? I used to be able to, you know, split second do that. I I don't do that anymore. For some, it's changed. And, you know, a lot of change is harmless. Change is simple and profound, negative and positive. But uh, life is involved with change that takes place. What I want to talk about today is the most potent transformative power on earth. Transformative is kind of a $10 word, a fancy word for change. Uh, And it comes right out of the scripture as we talk about it, as we go forward and think about what God has to say about change. Uh, the scripture, of course, says, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news, good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now that obviously is the Christmas story. It's the Christmas message. And the centrality of that story is John three sixteen that God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, whoever believes in him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. And that idea of personal salvation, of course, is, is the core, the primary, the central, the most important part of that message. It's the gateway, so to speak, to the straight and narrow. It's how we go to heaven. It's how we avoid eternal punishment that we'll reference a few minutes later from now. 
But it's so much more than that. And that's really what I want us to think about for a few minutes this morning. That that's, that's, that's critical and key and diminishing it in no way whatsoever. We'd be foolish and wrong if we did. But it's a beginning and it's, it's so much more that the transformative power, this potent power, uh, can do for us here if we avail ourselves of it. And so, well, I don't know, guys, I don't know if we got a, got a, yeah, something happened here with our, our battery. Uh, okay, this one. Think about the transformative power then, the good news. Because the message is this, that there's no social or political problem. Think about that for a minute. There's no social or political problem. This has been a year, a year and a half of division and disillusionment and discouragement and discord and a lot of stuff that has upset a lot of people. And it seems like that sort of defines our existence now. No, there's no social or political problem. There's no sin that we confront personally, even being dead in our transgressions. In the scripture, it talks about being dead in our transgressions. It doesn't say we're asleep in our sin. It didn't say we're kind of overwhelmed in our sin. It didn't say that we're sort of influenced a lot by our sin. No, we're, we're dead. Dead. Dead means dead. We're dead in our sin, but the power of the good news can transform us and indeed does if we avail ourselves of it. There's no evil. There's no troubles in this world. There's nothing that you've heard about in 2020 or 2021 that is greater than this power that we're now talking about. That's beyond its reach. There's nothing we've done or nothing done to us. Now, I'm not a counselor, but counselors talk to us sometimes or your friends have about things that have happened to them, pretty terrible things, traumatic things that causes them trauma on into their later life and maybe you're a person that has experienced something like that but there's nothing we've done no choice we've made no activity no sin no evil doing and nothing that anybody has done to us that's beyond the reconciling work of Christ and the healing power of the Holy Spirit of God that's what we mean when we talk about the most potent transformative power on earth the sovereignty of God The message of the gospel, which of course starts with salvation, but it goes so much beyond that. It's it's here and now. It's an everyday experience if we reach out and ask God to engage himself in our life, and he will, and it's there, and it can change us and everybody around us. When we think about that most transformative power, uh, you think about some in the Old Testament. Moses Moses went on to be the greatest leader perhaps in history, but certainly in the Bible as recorded there in leading however many million people there were. Some scholars say as many as two million Israelites that came across the Red Sea and on into the new promised land. But Moses was a man who early in life, you know, he was raised in the Pharaoh's palaces and prepared by God in that way before he fled into the wilderness. Why did he flee into the wilderness? Well, because he killed a man. Now, maybe he did it in self-defense, or maybe he did it in, quote, righteous anger. But somehow or another, there was an Egyptian guard that was uh, uh, exercising some kind of undue force upon the Hebrew slaves. And Moses got angry, didn't like it, reacted, fought the man, and killed the man, and then fled. Moses did that. But God called him the meekest man on the face of the earth. And then used him with incredible Incredible influence throughout, we're still today, 
uh, being influenced by the Mosaic law. David, of course, is called the, the, God, the man after God's own heart. Now this man, you know his story. Uh, if you start with the fact that he's a shepherd boy and he, you know, he kills a lion, he kills a bear, and then the, the Goliath story, the fantastic Goliath story, which we all learned, hopefully learned, as kids and it's so meaningful and powerful and we use it as a metaphor today. Uh, David as a man, mm, hey, David was a king, but then he saw Bathsheba. So his adultery with Bathsheba, and then later he's challenged, and of course he, uh, he puts her, her husband on the front line. He didn't actually shoot, or didn't have guns then, but he didn't actually kill Uriah in one direct way, but he was responsible for Uriah being right in the thick of things where highly likely he would go down, and he did go down, and he was responsible. And he went on his merry way until Nathan the prophet came in and challenged him. And this is a guy, David, who God used to solidify the southern kingdom and to, to bring Israel together. Uh, and later is called the man after God's own heart. Well, what I'm talking about is change. This transformative power. That God was able to take these frail human beings and change them in a way that he used them to mighty effect. And David, uh, another one, of course, in scripture... The demon-possessed man, sometimes the old uh, King James called it Gadara or Gerasenes, I mean, same thing. But a demon-possessed man, a man who ran around naked and lived in the, in the graveyard and the tombs and could hear, be heard screaming at night. What he ate, I have no idea and don't even want to think about. But when you look at this man, he was, pos- he was possessed. He was beyond any, any reach of anybody to do anything. And Jesus came along and cast out the demons, and he went on. We hope, I hope he went on to live, doesn't say in scripture, but whether he went on to live a normal and happy life and had a family, who knows? He could have because he was completely transformed by this power that we're, we're talking about. Saul in the New Testament uh, was a Christian killer. Again, kind of like uh, David in the Old Testament, whether Saul actually personally by his own hand, the way Moses did, killed somebody, we don't know. But he was certainly responsible for orchestrating the events of persecution where that kind of thing happened. And he gloried in it, and he reveled in it, and he advanced in it until that time on the Damascus Road when God called him, completely transformed his life. He becomes the Apostle Paul, and God uses him to write, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, most of the books of the New Testament. Transformative power. You would have thought, had you known something about Saul, and certainly the demon-possessed man, that this guy was beyond reach. I mean, who, he's, beyond, he's no hope. He's hopeless. Uh, I remember this kid when I was in high school. And he wasn't the worst kid in our high school, but for some reason I just didn't think he was worth a whole lot. And um, he's a year older than I am. Um, and I just didn't want anything to do with him. And my mother would say to me, well, you know, you should pray for him. Well, I didn't want to pray for him. I'd rather, you know, feel the thoughts I was feeling to him. But you should pray for him. Uh, you should invite him to church. He lived like a street and a half over from the, in the town in which I grew up, which wasn't much bigger or much different than Middleville, a small town in Ohio. Well, I don't know that I ever did that. I can't remember ever doing that. But I do remember quite clearly by the time we were in high school that somehow, some way, my mother got to him, invited him to church, and eventually my mother led him to the Lord. My mother did. 
Now, as it happens in the providence of God, when we were in our 50s, um, the Lord called him home. He's, Larry's in heaven today. And he's in heaven because my mother was faithful. I thought he was beyond reach. I thought it was impossible. Nothing would change this guy. No, just the gospel. Have you known a person like that? Have you known anybody like that? You have anybody in your extended family you think that for some reason, by the choices that they're making, the things that they've gotten themselves into, the things that they've done, the things that has happened to them, they're so far down, so far out. Maybe you were that. You know, you had that testimony, that prodigal sort of testimony. That you were so far out there that somehow, some way, the Spirit of God broke through. Because he's the sovereign God. So if Saul, who called himself later in life the chief of sinners, (laughs) what a great phrase that was, the chief of sinners, uh, can become the Apostle Paul, no one, no one is beyond the reach of this power that we're talking about. These are personal miracles spiritual transformations and the scripture verse in particular here therefore if anyone be in Christ he is a new creation has come the old is gone the new is here so that that what we call being dead in sin you're no longer dead in sin you're now alive in Christ it is a total transformation it's a total change that's available no one is beyond reach nothing you've heard about I'm going to repeat it in 2020 or 2021 is beyond the reach of the Spirit of God or out of God's control and understanding. But I keep thinking that we're, we get caught up, you know, so much in our circumstances of what's happening around us. And we forget the fact that the power and the hope represented in this biblical statement of the character and will of God is beyond description. It's beyond description in terms of the change that can take place in a person's life. I hesitated before incorporating this slide. I didn't want to disturb anybody, but I thought, no, it's so powerful, I'm going to use it. I don't know this lady. Matter of fact, just this week, I came across this online, and I thought the story was so amazing, I wanted to use it as an illustration. The woman on the left is the same as the woman on the right. It's the same woman. The woman on the left looks older, but the woman on the right, the same person, is older than she was when the first picture was taken. 15 years of heroin addiction. And this is her statement. No one had hoped for me. A homeless heroin addicted for 15 years. And then Jesus stepped into my mess. And today I'm here to tell you that Jesus can step into the most hopeless situation and turn it around for his glory. Jesus used my journey for a reason so that others may know the hope as a name. And that name is Jesus Christ. He came so that we may have life. Much love, Danielle. Again, I don't, I don't know who this person is. I don't know where she lives. But I think it's an incredible representation of the transformative power that I'm talking about. No one is beyond the reach of the Spirit of God. Struck me this week, uh, when you get older, things strike you from time to time like this. But uh, struck me that I had written a book. I thought, well, yeah, okay, fine. 25 years ago, 25 years, I said to Sarah yesterday, I couldn't believe it, I wrote a book on legalized commercial gambling, that was a big deal in the 80s and then in the 90s, and my first book was called Gambling, Don't Bet on It, you know, 
And I wrote about this this book, and you know the arguments in the book still stand. So a lot of statistics did dated, but uh, the arguments still stand of what gambling can do. And as I wrote that book, I I struggled with the idea of of this thing called addiction. Now again, I'm not a counselor, I'm not a psychiatrist, and I want to be careful on how I say this. So I'm not I'm not saying we should never use the word addiction or that it doesn't exist or anything like that. But I struggle with. The fact that at times there are people who, and I found that to be evident as I was researching the topic of gambling addiction, who will use the word addiction as almost like a pass. They'll use it as a, as a way of uh, saying, look, you're not responsible for what you've gotten yourself into. I thought of that again a few years ago. It's been hmm, 11, 12 years ago now. I like sports. I watch sports when Tiger Woods, the greatest golfer on the planet, got himself into incredible personal issues, this one involving sex, uh, to the point that, that that idea again was used, that, well, sex addiction. I go, what is that? Okay. I'm not saying it does. Uh, what I did with the gambling as I got into it, I, I talked to theologians. And then I talked to gambling, compulsive gambling counselors, problem gambling counselors that actually work with people that struggle with gambling. And I asked them, I said, is this thing addiction? How do you handle that? You know, and some of them had had their own experiences with gambling and got out of it, and now that's how, why they were helping others. And they said, look, you know, the idea of addiction or addictive behavior is, uh, it doesn't happen overnight, typically. It's a, it's a, it comes from a series of choices. And it's entirely possible to make a series of choices, in this case, poor choices, bad choices. You've made so many of them that you've gotten out so far, you're so deep, so to speak, that indeed it is appropriate to say that you, are, you by yourself cannot suddenly make a decision, typically, and undo or you know, dis, uh, uh, detach yourself from that problem. You've, you've lost the ability, the willpower, or whatever else is involved, to extract yourself from this problem. And so in that sense, it becomes an addictive, it takes on an addictive capacity or addiction in that way. So again, there are people who use that to, to help people and to reach them and the idea of interventions and all the things that go into that. But there are also people out there who like to medicalize. It's called medicalized sin. And as soon as someone's involved, you see this all the time with celebrities, whatever it is, something going on, and someone comes out and says, well, he had a mental health problem. Well, yeah, he, 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 he sinned. He he chose a whole variety of immoral things that he got himself into. Yeah, he probably has mental health issues now as a product of his sin, don't we all? Okay, I'm not making fun of that. Or I'm not saying there aren't real mental health issues. I'm just saying that those sometimes those things can be used as excuses or as to blaming something outside of ourselves. It's society or it's circumstances or it's our parents or its environment, or its, its DNA, or something that, that really is not my fault. I'm not responsible, then that's where I am, where I, why I am, where I am. But in terms of personal sin, addiction, if you want to say that term, or addictive behavior, if that feels more comfortable, sexual immorality and perversion of any kind, and there's no end to the creative perversion or perverted creation, creativity of, of new forms of sexual immorality and perversion. Cruelty. 
you know, history is fun to study, but you don't have to study history very long until you find you run smack into man's inhumanity to man, as they say. Unbelievable cruelty. I mean, the Nazis are only one example. There's far, far more than Or any of the heinous crimes against humanity that you can read about or think about. There's nothing, absolutely nothing, that puts, us, puts that person beyond the reach of the Holy Spirit of God. And back, back when I, I wrote that book, because gambling was such a big deal back then in the early 90s, it came out in 1996, I guess, in the middle, uh, I did a lot of Christian radio interviews. In fact, did, I don't, I don't know, four or five hundred of them, literally. And uh, you get all kinds, you learn a lot about that too. Sometimes you just, you're on, you're off, and boom, you're gone, like, what was that about? And then you get some that are very good. Some of you know Janet Parshals, uh, who does a Moody, what, she's, a, she's a fabulous interviewer, knows what she's doing, always in charge has read the material, knows what she's talking about, and gives the person who's the host an opportunity to talk. You don't get that always, but you get the whole thing. So I did a lot of those and got on there, and I always tried to say, and eventually did, I said with her, and she came back with me on it, that, that look, you know, gambling is just an example we're talking about today, but there's, there's nothing, I don't believe, that you can get yourself into so deeply that you're beyond the reach of the Spirit of God. I, I can't say that and, and be consistent with what I believe about theology, what I believe about the Bible. I, I, I can't go there, or I have to change my, my faith understanding of who God is. Is God sovereign, or, or is he not? And what does sovereignty mean? It, mean, it means all-powerful, right? It means omnipotent. There's nothing, nothing in this world that can happen, including the prince and power of the air, that's beyond the reach of the Holy Spirit of God. Nothing. Uh, I work with a ministry called uh, Sat7. It's quite a privilege and, and uh, in the 13th year already. Can't believe that. And um, the CEO of Sat7, uh, relatively loose, been there two years now with it, uh, Rita Almunayer, is Lebanese. And I've, I first heard her say this oh, 10 years ago when she visited and we had a kind of an evening event at our house. And she's standing there in her home, and she stood up to speak, and we got, you know, 10, 12 people there, whatever it was. And she said, you know, if you were to choose one word to describe the Middle East and the people of the Middle East, it would be hopeless or hopelessness. Hopelessness. And she's used that ever since. And I've picked up and used it. And I always make sure to say that, look, it's not me, the Westerner, looking in and saying, oh, you people are hopeless. No, <laughs> that's not it. It's, it's Christians there, Middle Easterners, who are looking around and say, this is our greatest problem, hopelessness. Uh, and how do you find hope? And, and we think about this, and I got into that conversation back again in those radio interviews with Jenna Parsons. She's talking about sometimes people don't like it when you call something sin. Now, that's even more the case now than in the 1990s when we were doing those radio interviews. If you call something sin today, what are you? You're a bigot, okay? Or you're intolerant. Or some other ugly word. You've heard them. Not to illustrate them all. Uh, but I tell you what. It might sound harsh. But if you call something sin. That God actually called sin. Not something you made up. Okay. Uh, not your holy list. No God's list. Okay. If you call something sin that God. You know what you've just done? You've identified what it actually is. And there's a remedy for sin. There's hope. Hope. 
Because if that person truly is into this behavior, this activity, this circumstance, this depth of despair in their life, and they're at rock bottom, and there is no remedy, there's no hope. They're, they're a goner, right? If they're truly controlled by forces, I joked about the force, there's no such thing. If they're truly controlled by things outside themselves, to the point where they, they're just, here they are, there's no hope. It's actually, therefore, kinder, and it's certainly consistent theologically, to kindly, speaking the truth in love, it's not trying to throw a rock or judge or holier than thou, but if something is sin in your own life or other, otherwise, to call it sin means you have spoken the truth. And now... There is a remedy in the scripture. It's this transformative power of the Spirit of God and the reconciling work of Christ that we're talking about. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 5, it talks about us being ambassadors of reconciliation. Big phrase, you know? Yet each of us are ambassadors of reconciliation. I don't know how often I've done that in my life, maybe hope a few times. But that's what we ought to be, that we have the truth. And there's nothing that is except a decision to reject the good news that makes you, puts you beyond the reach of the Holy Spirit of God. So if there's a prodigal in your family, they're not goners. They're not goners any more than you were if you were that at one time. Okay? And now God has, has called you back. They're, they're not goners. If there is uh, something happening in this world that we can't understand the trends and God's still in charge and sometimes I wonder, Lord, why don't you do this or that? Uh, you know, we all wonder those things. No, that's not beyond the Spirit of God. So when you think about uh, what God is doing, what does the transformative power of being a new creation in Christ mean? What's it mean to you and me? Yeah, we're saved, okay? That's the first, first point. Uh, we're forgiven from eternal punishment. You say, I'm going to heaven. Yeah, great. Uh, it's important. It's fantastic. That's praise God. My dad's in heaven, right? I'm going to see my dad again someday. You have loved ones in heaven. You'll get to see them again someday. By the way, Moses is going to be there, and he's going to be real different from you because he was an Old Testament Jew. So kind of, you know, let things uh, be flexible. Uh, but the punishment eternally, yeah, you're, we're forgiven. But the power temporally, and that power temporally is we're liberated. We're set free. There's nothing, nothing. Again, you say, well, there's something I've got going in my life that I can't break free of. Well, that's the first statement. I can't break free of it. I can't either. We need the Spirit of God. But there's nothing the Spirit of God can't help you break free of. He can liberate you free from the ongoing enslavement of sin. That's the power temporally. That's a we do not lose heart. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though wasting away. You ever felt like you were wasting away? You say, well, yeah, that's another word for aging. No, no, no don't go there. Uh, if you're wasting away, yet inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. There are serious issues that can get in here and just absolutely take over our lives. To the point we feel wasting away. But we can be renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles. That's what Paul calls them. Possible. The light and momentary troubles are achieving for us eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we can then be in a situation where we don't have to spare, we don't lose heart. 
We're not alone. That's one of the things that we hear constantly in the Middle East. So much so that we've started using the phrase at Sat 7, isolated believers. Now, I don't know, some of you uh, may have, maybe in a situation where you are alone, or you have felt alone, or you've been that a different time in your life. So being alone and lonely can happen right here in, in Middleville, right here in Michigan. But think about what it is to be in the Middle East, uh, living in a country that is Muslim, uh, that doesn't embrace or allow freedom of religion, uh, and uh, you're a Christian, and you don't know any other believers, you don't know, put it in Afghanistan, okay, where we're broadcasting into there every day. You don't know any believers. In fact, if you speak up about your faith, you are speaking up probably at risk of your life, certainly at risk of your well-being uh, and of your, perhaps your job. We get that kind of feedback on a weekly, if not daily basis, from people who are facing exactly those kinds of circumstances. Uh, you can't uh, go down to the corner or up to 28th Street and find a Christian bookstore and, and buy Christian resources. Uh, you can't turn on your radio and get Chuck Swindoll 24 hours a day, okay, or Dave Jeremiah or whoever your favorite preacher is. I mean, you, you, you can't do that in the Middle East. Um, you, you can't probably, there are underground churches, secret churches as we call them in Iran and Afghanistan, and they meet secretly, uh, 7, 8, 10, 12 people. Uh, they're very careful, uh, at risk, they do that. But you may not even have access to that. You are isolated. So being alone uh, typically is not fun. It's not something most of us seek. Uh, you know, we all like alone time from time to time. But for the most part, that's not how God made us, you know. He certainly knows that about men, right? He looked at us in the Garden of Eden and said, wow, not good for man to be alone. So he created Eve. So he, he knows what we, you know. We'd mess it up. That's the old joke that you know God created women because He knew if He left man alone, He'd really mess it up, and they have anyway. But uh, here we are. Being alone is not something most of us want or seek. Fellowship and friendship and family and community and a church fellowship is very important. Uh, God is not and never will abandon us. So our our message in, in the Middle East, as you broadcast, you try to reach people in Afghanistan. What do you tell them? Hey, hang on, we'll be there tomorrow. No, no, no. Um, God's in charge, that's true. God hasn't forgotten you, that's true. God will work his will and way, that's true. And, and there are a lot of people that were praying that uh, Afghan Christians would get out of Afghanistan. And we would understand why they would pray that and why they might seek to do that. Typically on Sat 7, we don't get on the air and promote that kind of idea. One, because it's very risky for them, and you know, we can end up promoting something that if they don't do wisely, they could lose their life. The other is, is because the church leaders in all of those countries, like Iran or Saudi Arabia or, or uh, Morocco or Libya or, or Yemen or Afghanistan, Turkey even, they say, please don't do that. They don't want Christians to leave, to emigrate, because that, it's, a, it's a brain drain. It's a spiritual drain on, on them. The church literally declines in numbers, and, and they feel they need that. And, and they see themselves, as they are, God's remnant. <laughs> they see themselves as, hey, this is my country and my time. 
This is our opportunity to be who we are. This is where God placed us. And they, they revel in that. And they sometimes say, please don't take away our, our crown, uh, you know, our opportunity to be what God's called us to be. Uh, sometimes they'll say, yeah, go ahead and put us on air. We wondered that when we first went to a place like Morocco, whether the Christians in the underground churches, churches would even allow themselves to be on air. They said, yeah, yeah, we want to be on air. We want to share with people about our faith. They're incredibly resilient, incredibly com- committed, and, and they know that they want to reach those who are isolated uh, believers. Well, that's the verse we use in, in the bulletin. We can be resilient. It says, we have this in treasure in jars of clay. Well, the jars of clay is your body and mine, okay? Uh, it goes all the way back to the metaphor, all the way back to the Garden of Eden and how God formed us. But here we are, we're, we're a jar of clay, and God can use us. We have this treasure of what God has given us that is all-surpassing power. I love that phrase. I meant at the beginning about the most potent, transformative power on earth. All-surpassing power from God, not from us. We are, what? Hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Have you had COVID? Some of you have. COVID doesn't feel like, to me, I haven't had it, but it doesn't feel like to me when I think about it as a light and momentary trouble. <laughs> and yet scripture, perspective, how God looks at that which we experience, all of our experiences, but whatever God asks us to experience, and whatever we're experiencing, as we walk through life, we're hard-pressed on every side, we're not crushed. We don't have to be. We're perplexed, not in despair. We might be persecuted, and indeed some in the Middle East are, uh, but we're not abandoned. Uh, we might be struck down, but we're not destroyed. That's the all-surpassing power, the transformative power of who God is and what he's done. And then we are unassailable, a big word. No one, none, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors. You know this verse. Through him who loved us, quite similar to the previous verse, uh, death nor life, angels, demons, uh, present, future, nor powers, height or depth, nothing else in creation, or anything else in creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So that, that power is eternal, and that power to save us from our sins and from eternal punishment in hell and allow us to experience uh, faith and community with God in heaven forever? Absolutely. But it's so much more of what God's offering and wants to do elsewhere in scripture calls the abundant Christian life of bestowing upon us in our everyday walk, our everyday life. We can be unassailable. And then we can be, here we have, we have hope. Uh, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. Christmas is a time about joy and about peace uh, as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. To overflow with hope. Now, you know, there are positive phrases that one might come up with, but the idea of overflowing with hope uh, probably is uh, one, of the, one of the strongest ones. I remember back, uh, this goes back to 19, hmm, what is it, Orpha, 1991, 1994, clear back then, when we were involved at the college and university, and we changed the name from Grand Rapids Baptist College to Cornerstone College, and then eventually Cornerstone University. 
which then was a, a great move and has proven to be a great blessing in many ways upon the institution. And uh, so you look back at that, and I remember the process we went through of trying to find the right name. And we had all these names that were submitted. We had biblical names, we called them historical names, cultural names, you know, on and on, all, divided them in categories, had this kind of a group uh, to a screening group of board members and a few other leaders to kind of review it. And Cornerstone, of course, was one of those names. And people asked me at the time, a few times since, well, you know, what, what name did you hope for or want? And I said, well, the, the, I thought one of, the, one of the greatest all-time college names was already taken. It's right here in our backyard. It's Hope, you know? It's four letters. It fits on a T-shirt. I mean, it's great, right? <laughs> hope. But it's more than that. That word, what that word meant, what that word means is so powerful, which is why somebody back in the history of that institution and the Reformed Church chose it out of their understanding of their theology. Hope. Hope. Well, we end up with Cornerstone, which, of course, in Scripture is a, a representation of who Christ is. That was pretty good, too. And at the time, Joe Stoll was the president of Moody Bible Institute. And I remember at the time kidding him, saying, hey, uh, our new name here, Cornerstone, we can preach on that. You know, it's right out of the Bible. Moody, that, you know, what is that kind of name is that? Uh, not knowing that years later he'd end up president of Cornerstone when I walked on to do something else. So it's interesting in God's providence. But hope, you know, hope is, is one of the most powerful, most blessed things that we can have. Something that you can bless others with. I've occasion from time to time to use this illustration, and I think it fits here, but uh, when my grandmother uh, on the farm, Grandma Rogers, uh, she had, back then, had the cancer kind of thing that when the, had the operation, it made your arms swell up. I don't know if that still happens with that kind of physical situation, but it did back then, and it was very difficult. And it was, it was the thing that eventually took her life. And I remember, and she was bedfast for 18 months. And my mother, who's now 90, uh, and my uh, aunt, who just passed, uh, took care of her. They were the caregivers during that time. And uh, Sarah and I knew each other at that point. We were dating in college. I don't know we weren't even engaged yet, but we'd come home. And so Sarah got to meet her. And, and I remember talking to her, and she'd say something like, Well, Rex, I don't know if I'll be here when you get back. And I'd say, Well, Grandma, don't say that. Well, I mean, it's true in the province of God, and eventually it became the situation. But why do I bring it up? Because during her last 18 months, the way she operated was to, to get my uh, mother and my aunt to uh, look for people who had been, who were sick, to whom she uh, uh, could send get well cards. Now she's got terminal cancer, right? She's knows that, and she's there bed fast in 18 months, and so she's sending get-well cards to people in her Methodist church, well, it was a little tiny Methodist church out in the country, and pretty soon you run out of people, and uh, then they're looking in the newspaper, you know what those are, you older folks know what those are, uh, where there are actually names, okay, of people who were ill, and since grandma and my mom and aunt, too, had lived there all their lives, they knew everybody. Mom still knows everybody for five counties. And uh, so they started sending cards to people that grandma didn't even know. Well, then they started looking for names just, I mean, I don't know if they picked them out of the phone book, but somehow they're just getting names, 
Because that's what she wanted to do. It, it brought her a great deal of comfort. Because uh, she was doing what she believed she ought to do. And was right to do. But it also blessed other people. And it was, you know, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. It says, uh, uh, here it is. Praise be to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Father of compassion. And the God of all comfort. Who comforts us in all our troubles. So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. That's exactly what Grandma did. She comforted others. So I've always appreciated and and been grateful for that memory. And that testimony of a a godly grandmother. uh, Who didn't get to see our kids and all that. uh, But who made this enormous impact on my life. She, She spent her last months sharing hope. Comfort and hope. She became a, an ambassador of reconciliation, even though she couldn't leave her bedroom. Uh, amazing to me. Amazing. I don't know if and when that time will come for me, and if that's if, if you know so you're always given time to think about these things in God's providence. You'd like to think that I would respond in a similar strong way, faith. I don't know that, but. That should be our, our goal, is, is sharing this hope that we have with others, this overflowing with hope uh, and the joy and peace we have in the fact that we know the Lord Jesus Christ and that that transformative power through no doing of our own is in us and through us and available to everyone that we meet. And so I don't know if you've got things in your life that are bringing you down, to say it that way. Things in your life that you feel disillusioned about. Things in your life that maybe you just flat feel hopeless about. I don't know what they are. I do know the Spirit of God. I know what he says about his own character and what he can do for you. doesn't mean he'll necessarily change that situation. We know that to be true the way we want it. It's like grandma did pass. Why? Because that was God's timing and his providence. Did God not answer our prayers or her prayer? No, I think he did, but he did according to his will. So we recognize that that and, and the sovereignty of God. So we can't always pray, do it this way, Lord. But we do know that God is who he says he is. And, and I love that Os Guinness quote, you know, Dr. Os Guinness, who's one of the great philosophic thinker still in his 80s still writing he said we don't always know why we don't know why things happen 2021 2020 (laughs) why but we know the god who knows why love that quote we don't always know why but we know the god who knows why and we're told not to figure out why we're told to trust him to trust him and doing that He blesses us with peace that's unsurpassed and joy that overflows. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much that we can come before you in prayer. We thank you that we live in a free country where we are able to pray without fear of our lives. Uh, We thank you for the Christmas story 
that is so much greater than a story. But we do fact, in fact, thank you for that, that you revealed yourself in print and otherwise to us, that we know exactly what the truth is. And we know what the truth is in the world in which we live. We know the end of the story. And because we know the end of the story and we know the author, we can have great hope. Whatever you choose in your sovereignty to allow us to experience in our lives. Father, we pray for our families. We pray for our extended uh, friendships and others with whom we have influence that we might be, each of us, an ambassador of reconciliation of this incredible transformative power that brings hope to anyone who is there and willing to embrace it. Father, we praise your name. In your name we pray. Amen.